Hello, I'm Rebecca Casalino, and this is Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to talking to artists on the fringes of the Canadian art scene. Jocelyn Junker is a Métis artist born in Saskatchewan. Her practice explores how photography and painting can become entangled in performative gestures that affect the formulation of self-identity. Through photography, she questions representation and engages with constructions of identity in the public sphere by creating a visual language that co-opts media and challenges its original context. She received a BFA from Emily Carr University of Art and Design in 2018. She's currently on the board of Access Gallery and resides in the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Our conversation was recorded in Hamilton within Treaty 3 territory on the ancestral land of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe nations under the Dish with One Spoon Wampum Agreement. Hey Jocelyn! Hello! How's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Just drinking my coffee, sweating through this Canadian summer. Oh my god, yeah. Where are you right now? I am one in so-called Vancouver, and I am in my apartment at my kitchen table. It's like a, I'm going to be very descriptive. Go for it. It's a, it's a 1950s, like, diner-style table Ooh. with, like, a nice red kind of marbly top, and then I have a beautiful bouquet of flowers my friend gave me sitting in front of me. Oh, that sounds so lovely. And it's kind of a... We've, we went through a little bit of a rainy period recently, which we really needed. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a partly cloudy day, so the sun's coming out, kind of going away a little bit here and there, but it's a nicer, cooler day for us. Oh, that sounds ideal. Yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's been, yeah, it's been hot. We're going, I, we did get another um, advisory warning about, like, heat this week, so... Yeah, my weather app just updated, um, I guess, like, my phone updated last night, and now it has air quality warnings on it. Like, it measures the air quality. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Yeah. It's something. Uh, the post-apocalyptic <laughs> world that we live in. Yeah, it really feels that way sometimes, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you've been a busy bee these past two weeks. I was just wondering if you wanted to talk a bit about the projects that you've been doing and the work that you installed at uh, the Art Gallery at Evergreen. Yeah, okay. So it's basically like a little incubator program that I got into um, beginning of May. And it was just like a series of artists. We, were, we did a lot of, like, workshops via Zoom, and then we were given studio space throughout the month of June. Sick. Yeah, so it was, like, a really good time. I just used it as an opportunity to start experimenting again, because I feel like rarely do I have, like, time or space to do that. Mm-hmm. So one thing I've been super interested, especially in my practice, is I've always been really interested in textiles, and so I've been trying to find, like, the intersection of photography and textiles. And... I want to say a rough tough, like, one of the frustrating things about watching things go on on social media mm-hmm. um, during the pandemic is all of the people who got into rub tufting as a trend, because <laughs> I've wanted to do that for years. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. I used the opportunity to, like, actually put some stuff together and, like, do it for real. Mm-hmm. So I was very excited about doing that. Yes. So, so the frame of the work that you had 
that was rug tufted then? It is. So it, it basically feels like a rug. That whole thing is like just fabric. Ooh. It's fabric and it's like stretched onto the wall. Oh, like, I didn't realize. Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, so I, I, I've been wanting to do that for a while. Because I, I have seen recently, like, I feel like in a lot of years in Vancouver, especially in photography, mm-hmm. of like really going for like crazy or outrageous frames, which I'm here for, <laughs> but I think there was also this aspect that I wanted to explore too, where it's like, well, if you're, why are you just doing that to the frames? Let's like do something about the prints. So I also printed on the fabric too. Huh. I love that. And your work involves a lot of self-portraiture and this is one of them. I was wondering um, why you use like the clown motif because the work is kind of like you a self-portrait of you like with the classic clown makeup and then like this beautiful t- thick tufted frame that's like the kind of the pattern of like clown clothing. I was just wondering um, what you were thinking about when you made that. Yeah. So I've done like I've done a series of, like, clown self-portraits throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I've done, this is the fourth one now. Um, nice. Which, there's, I don't, like, I honestly feel like a lot of my experience, it must be part of my upbringing, but a lot of it I put through the lens of humor, just to make it, like, somewhat easier to digest, or, like, just to have, like not dwell on how traumatic or sad some things can be. Um, and then I also, like, it's funny, I was thinking about this this morning. I, like, fully had an existential crisis in mm. art school being, like, every day I wake up, and no matter what, I'm always performing. Mm. I'm always performing a version of myself. So I went on, like, a long journey of trying to figure out, like, what performance is the truest version of myself and it it ended on clowns (laughs) and is that because your clowns are kind of like this sad dark clown and it makes me think of I don't know if you know like Pagliacci that kind of yeah are you referencing that or is it just like you feel like you're the sad clown or do you want to expand on that a bit oh I totally it's totally like a large portion of it comes from I don't know if it's specifically in the comic book Watchmen, mm. or if it's like a joke that's from outside of it, but there is like the joke that Rorschach tells in that, where he's like a doctor, a guy who's sad and done with life, like goes and talks to his doctor and tells him about his feelings, and the doctor is like, I have the prescription for you, go see the great, pet, great clown, whatever. Um, and it'll cheer you right up, and then he goes, I am the clown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's how I kind of feel. Like, I, I do feel, I, I do feel, like, a lot of the time that, like, I don't know, I can go through, the, I can often go through, like, humor to cheer myself up, and often I'm the only person who can really do that in my life. The only reason I know about Pagliacci is because of this podcast, um, Hilarious World of Depression, and their theme song, um, one of the lines is like, oh, I'm Pagliacci, and it's all these, the podcast is all these comedians talking about their depression and, and their mental health, and, like, they feel the same way, too, and, like, when Robin Williams died, I know a lot of people were like, oh, the, the happiest, like, funniest people in your life are sometimes, like, the saddest, so, like, this idea of the sad clown is something that, I don't know, has always existed, it seems like, in pop culture. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it's, like, totally a specific, like, archetype. It's, yeah, it's been one I've, like, identified with result Because that was the other thing about, like, being surrounded in, like, a community. Like, I 
moved away from Saskatchewan to Vancouver and being like very entrenched in our community mm. it was kind of interesting like how I have a lot of the same reference points but like I was really into comedy in high school <laughs> like I listened to so many comedy podcasts I listened to like every episode of The Nerdist nice. ever and knew of all these like different comedians and then I I got to art school and I was like wait you got, like not only do a lot of you not have a sense of humor at all <laughs> but like you don't know about like any comedy like you don't yeah. enjoy any comedy and I think comedy can be a very like transformative like critical act for sure like, for when, sure when done properly <laughs> yeah I know um like I, right away I go to Bo Burnham's like inside because yeah. we're all still locked up here but I was the same way in high school like just for laughs was always on my TV. Um, like every yeah. Sunday, my parents were always that was what was on our TV the entire time. And like stand up is a very, I feel like it's Canadian culture, but apparently not in Vancouver. Yeah, I don't think so. Which is funny, but I mean, I guess like it's in the time that I've moved here, they have. I miss it right now. Every mm. February they do Just for Laughs Northwest. Yeah. And so it's kind of like a, I. Like, in the last couple of years, I finally started going to, like, a bunch of shows. Sick. I'm, like, sad it's not, not able to happen. But, yeah, like, I, I think of Bo Burnham immediately, because I was, I was a big fan of his in high school. And then I saw Make Happy Live in 2015, I guess that was. And it, like, really changed my perspective a lot how I, how I, like, he's changed my perspective a lot on how I interact with the internet. For sure. So, which... I think that's that's the big thing, and I, I think of like Hannah Gadsby too. Mm. There's some there's some really transformative like, I, and I think that there's a lot of critical thought that goes into comedy as well that people don't really consider. So yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a very critical practice. Um, yeah, and it's writing too, which is so hard. <laughs> yeah, majorly. So I feel like a lot of people just put off comedy as like funny makeup ups, but it's like it's it's skill and it and it you have to be really smart to like really consider and practice that. So I also was just like how can I incorporate that into my into my art practice mainly because I, I do, I just feel like I have a sense of humor that I wanted I want to be present in my work. And I feel like it's very few and far between. I feel like a lot of the humor one would see in like a institution or a gallery space would be one where it's kind of it's not you don't like fully laugh it's mm. just like a, an, an exhale through the nose a polite chuckle <laughs> exactly yeah so I'm like that's one major like interest I have especially in art and pop yeah. culture is just like so heavy within your work do you want to talk a bit about like growing up and what kind of influences um are still hanging out in your practice yeah, so I feel like Tumblr is very influential in terms of like why pop culture is so like present because I feel like it's my main reference point. Mm. And I feel like that mainly comes from so I grew up in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, which is like the most northern city. It, it's very kind of isolated, the closest like other major city is Saskatoon, which is an hour and a half away on the highway. Being Métis, 
like the kind of most simplistic way to put it is like you don't feel white enough for the white kids, you don't feel native mm. enough for the native kids. So you feel like you're kind of in this in between, off on your own. Mm-hmm. And I discovered the internet probably too early. On. <laughs> 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 my parents. Oh. Bless my parents. They like they were. They had me and my brother when they were a little bit older, and I, and my brother was kind of a wild child. So they came to me, and I think they were just like, as long as you don't get in trouble and you go to school, do your thing. And so I had a lot of um, unsupervised internet access, which is good and bad. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I I, I think the, the like one major influence in that time period, like I joined Tumblr in like 2009. Yeah, that is like, pretty early for Tumblr too. Yeah, I was I was there. <laughs> it was like <laughs> I, so like I spent so much of my time on there because I finally I just finally felt like I had found something that was interesting and then I also felt like I found people I could talk to. For sure, um, for sure. But I think a major part of like Tumblr's culture, I I deleted my Tumblr back in twenty fifteen. Uh, which I regret a little bit. I wish I could go back and look at it. I like how ridiculous I was um, <laughs> like a lost a lost thing but uh I I think just so much of that internet community was also like influenced by pop culture and I got really into I think the main point of access that really led to that was like British television mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I watched a lot of panel shows I watched a lot of British stand-ups and I think that also comes along with being Canadian too I think the For sensibility sure. is really similar yeah, I, like, I watch a lot of British, Australian, even, like, New Zealand TV. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good stuff, too. It's, like, I just, the major, the really major ones were, like, there was a panel show called Nevermind the Buzzcocks, <laughs> which was, like, music-based, which I was super into music, too, so that was, like, a huge point of entry, and then there were also all of these references, references they were making through the comedy, and then I was, like, well, what's that? Mm. And so it just kind of like spider webbed out and then I all of a sudden had this like crazy reference point that like <laughs> nobody around me in my high school had and I like went to a small high school and my graduating class was like 22 people wow like, so like I yeah it was kind of it's funny I like an ongoing theme in my life is is very like split personalities mm. I feel like there's like Especially at that time, like, there's the online version of me, and then there's the real-life version of me that I feel like I had to Mm. change and adapt to, like, social situations. And I feel like that's just, I mean, I feel like they've gotten closer as I've gotten older, but Mm -hmm. that was hard to navigate at that time. Especially when you're, like, I don't know. I just remember one time in English class, we were talking about Greek mythology, and then the teacher was, like talking about the tree of life in Greek mythology, and I was like, oh yeah, Yggdrasil. And then he was like, how do you know that? And I was like, Q.I. with Stephen Fry. So funny. I was like, I know, I know. I know all like, of this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, but I, I do think, like, and I, and like, Tumblr was like the first time I think I had really been exposed to like super fine art. Mm-hmm. A lot of that was like widely distributed and made available, which I think really kind of led to the road I've gone down, so. Yeah, is that yeah. how you started taking an interest in photography? Oh, that was, like, strangely earlier than that. Oh. I, when I was, like, 12, I think, I talked to my parents. 
parents into buying me a Kodak pointed shoe for Christmas. And I was actually on this website. It's like super kind of defunct now. It like barely exists the way it used to. But it was called BuzzNet. And it was BuzzNet. And then the sister site to it was also called Friends or Enemies. Which, if there's any follow up boy fans listening, like that's how I found it. Because um, I was a big fan of uh, Fall Out Boy and The Academy Is and Cobra Starship. And they nice. Were all they were all posting on there, and then they, they would do these, like, photo challenges. And I was like, well, this is fun. And so I started getting into it that way. And I think when I was 13, I did, like, a 365 project and, like, completed it when I was 14. Wow. And, so that, like, started all the way back then, too. So that's, that's like, kind of funny in its own way. Yeah, that's then nutty. I, then when the pandemic started, you gave yourself, like, also an everyday project, if you wanted to talk a bit about that. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, oh my god, I've never made that connection before. <laughs> so, okay, this actually, like, combines a lot of the things we've already talked about, because back in February of 2020, one of the last shows I went to was um, a live podcast evening of How Did This Get Made, which... <laughs> It's a beautiful podcast. If anybody wants to, a good entry point is the episode on Drop Dead Fred. Mm. You don't have to have watched the movies, but that one, that is a beautiful episode. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so I went into How Did This Get Made. I really like Jason Mantikas. There's just something about his chaos that like really jives with me. And it, it's like hard to explain, and people look at me like I'm crazy when I talk about it. But so I, when everything started going down, it was like March 10th to 12th. I feel like when everything really shut down in Vancouver. Yeah. And I was working at a gallery called Frank Gallery that was like kind of a small commercial commercial gallery, and like I would just sit there for five hours with not much to do if nobody came in, mm-hmm. and. I was just feeling anxious, and I was like, I I love how Jason Mendoza looks. I think he's, like, a really specific type of person, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. So I was like, well, I never know what to draw, so I'm just going to start drawing him. And so the first, like, I think it was, like, March 10th, I drew him, and then the day I came back, I drew him. Then the last day I went to work, I drew him again, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep drawing him until this thing is over. <laughs> when I was optimistic that it was going to be over in like a month. Oh my god. And, oh hell, things have changed. <laughs> um, and so, because that's my main problem. I love drawing and painting. Mm. I never know what to draw or paint. It's a challenge. It's, it's like a real issue. Like, so I, <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to keep doing it. And I started doing it as a joke, and the next thing I knew, I, like, started an Instagram page for it, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to keep doing it. And then finally, around, like, I think there's 78 or 79 posts on that Instagram, and by that time, it was really just like, okay, I've done this, I'm running out of source fo- or like source photos to draw him. <laughs> and it kind of just started becoming a thing where I was like, okay, this is taking, I have ideas for other things now. And it's biting into that time. So I'm going to put a pin in it because it's very clear this isn't ending anytime soon. And then also, like, you know, some days were a real challenge. Some days it came along really easy. And then some days it was like, wow, I cannot nail his likeness. Mm. 
it, it, my life depended on it today, and I just didn't want to post anything, and I was like, why am I holding myself to this pressure? This should be <laughs> and then it culminated in a, because I joked, I joked very early on, but I was like, the way this project is going to end if I, is if I do a Rembrandt-style painting of Jason and this, but um, then a better idea came along, so I decided to paint him. It's based off of an image that Nick Kroll posted with him in it. Like, they're standing, him and two makeup artists are, stand, are sitting in front of a, what, what I imagine is reproduction of Judith slaying cooperatives. Or holding the head of cooperatives, I think that's the real. Oh my gosh. Um, so I, I was like, oh, I like that. I like that a lot. And then I was like, and I kept thinking about it, and I was like, you know, this is kind of like the perfect metaphorical end to this mm-hmm. series. Because... You know, one of the conversations I had with some of my friends is they're like, I hope he sees this product. And I was like, I kind of hope he doesn't. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. It's kind of creepy. It's kind of weird. I've really gotten past the point in my life where I try to idealize celebrities and like put them on a pedestal. For sure. And, and, I, and I think this was just like a full-blown exploration of that, of just like how but I feel like doing portraiture you almost have to not idealize because you're really drawing him you know I love this hyper fixation and also just like to tell the audience like the name of the show that you did at the end of this was the artist beheads her muse which is just so good (laughs) like you holding the like the severed head of Jason Manzoukas and then also having um like a double self-portrait of yourself um yeah I don't know for me it almost seems like he's the sad clown so it's almost like he's a a mirror for you like in a more public facing kind of way yeah that makes sense and like the I think I have a real like I try to catch myself and check myself when it comes to the stuff Mm. but I think I do have an issue that's been built in from like those days of Tumblr um connecting with somebody on a level where it's like I have created an idealized version of what I think they are from their output mm. and seeing myself in them through that and trying to reconcile that with the fact that I know that like that is an idealized version I've created that is not the real person Yeah, and so I think like I think that's how that whole web of ideas all connects together because it's, it's like I enjoy that. I enjoy being hyperfixated. I mean, like one of my one of my joys in the pandemic was like watching all of his filmography, which I gotta say, I love the man, but he's been in a lot of bad movies. Oh, so many. So, but like, so I like going on. Like, I'm very prone to like being hyperfixated, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like being fans of people. And so I think it's also like just trying to like reconcile that within myself. To, like give myself I guess in a way permission as long as it yeah. doesn't border unhealthy well so. I think fangirl culture fan person culture like does come from tumblr and was really like built up in this in the way that like to be a groupie you didn't have to be in the same country like you could follow them around digitally and I think yeah. it almost took like the 80s 90s groupies to like an online kind of more innocent but also more obsessive place yeah and I also think that like Young girls are encouraged to act that way because mm. it makes money. Oh, for sure. We are such a powerhouse in the economy. <laughs> yeah. And then we're made fun of for it. I know. So it's like a whole, it's a whole like snake eating its own 
entail. So I feel like I was encouraged to act that way. I was encouraged to act unhealthy in a certain way. And then I had to like come to that weird realization on my own. Mm. And now it's like, how do I fix that? How do I, how do, or how do I just live with that fact? Yeah, I, well, it almost seems like the solution was like you literally beheading your muse, your inspiration. And I think that that's such a, like a literal way of doing it in like the creepy comedy way that's very on brand for you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just like, I'm just going to take this to the ultimate degree. Yeah. Because that's how I started feeling. I mean, like. I've never had stalker tendencies. I want to put that forward. Uh, not everything, but like at a certain point, at a certain point when you're drawing someone once a day, you're like, "Am I a stalker?" <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, uh, oh, "Boy, girl, what's going on?" This week's podcast recommendation is an episode of "How Did This Get Made?" A Braxis, Guardian of the Universe, live. Jesse Ventura in a rat tail, terribly shot slow-mo fights, the anti-life equation, and much more. Recorded live from Vancouver, Paul, June, and Jason discuss the 1991 science fiction film Abraxas, Guardian of the Universe. So you know what that means. But uh, do you want to talk a bit about your self-portraiture practice? And like your painting practice and, and how that's translated to like now printing on fabrics. I feel like it's evolved so much. There's so much, there's so much to talk about there, honestly. Um, I think, I think that a lot of that does relate back to, like, I just feel like I've never seen myself, like, being such a fan of media and pop culture, it's like, I really don't feel like I've ever seen myself represented in that. Mm. And I think that's what, like, a huge part of, like, actually exploring self-portraiture was about. Yeah. Especially when I got access to, like, the photo department at Emily Carr, like, being in the studio, having, like, you can, like, rent high, high quality cameras for free, you get access to all the, like, all the stuff, all the ingredients. For sure. For, like, the stuff you would need to, like, see yourself represented like that. So I think it kind of began there, and I think a lot of that has to do with my relationship with media, and then also, like, the relationship to textiles, so, like, one of the things I've always been super interested in was just, like, making my own clothes. Oh. And that mainly comes down to, like, being plus size and not having access to, like, the actual clothes I want to wear. For sure. So that, I feel like, plays into a large part of it. So I was, I, I had taken one, I took silk screening courses in school. Uh, I was really bad at it. <laughs> I am a firm believer, though. In, like, if you're bad at something, just try it out. Oh, no. I, I love doing stuff that I'm bad at as, like, an ego check. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, and also, like, you're going to do things the wrong way because you're not good at it. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to find new, like, forms of processes through that way. I, I, and I also feel like it is kind of important, especially, like, I feel like a lot of artists are interdisciplinary, but if, like you're in one medium or you think of your ideas through one medium that it's really good to like do something else mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. to get outside of it especially if you're stuck yeah but I think that's a huge part of it so when I was in my final year of my degree I took a substituting course that was specifically for textiles so you'd make your own fabrics and the two major projects that I did I, I made a dress and a coat 
I did it specifically through the lens of I wanted to make fabric that was like, you know, like there's like pre-ripped jeans and uh, pre-dirtied mm-hmm. articles of clothing from designers. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to make, I made one called like the artist's uniform. And it was basically like white denim with silk screened uh, paint splatters all over it. Oh my gosh, amazing. So I thought that'd be funny. I was like, like, but then I'll, and then I made a I made a coat, but it didn't really turn out that well. But I silk screened it. It was black, and I silk screened galaxies all over it. Yeah, so I was like, oh, that'll. It was just white, like no major colors. But I was like, that hides dirt. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I started doing that, and, and I carried that through. Like, uh, I, I don't come from a family with a lot of money, but the one thing my mom did for me when I graduated uh, as, like, a grad and birthday gift, she bought me a sewing machine. Oh, awesome. She's like, yeah. She's like, that's something you can use, and, and you, you're already doing it, so I know you'll use it. I still have it, use it frequently. Mm-hmm. But, so I, I carried on making clothing after that, and it kind of related back to, like, the performance of self and so I feel like since 2018 I've been trying to like connect all of those ideas of performing yourself what's like the truest version of a performance I can figure out how to relate that in my photographic practice and how to like incorporate that into the materiality of the project yeah when I like when you talk about the performance of self immediately I go in my head straight to gender performance and like making clothes is so tied up with gender and body and like you said like plus size clothing either doesn't look great is badly designed or like doesn't exist in like the proper sizing um I was just wondering like do you approach your clothing making practice as like a a part of your arts practice or it's just like a very practical thing right now at first I didn't at first I was like this is a strictly practical thing this is just for me to make like like, the first kind of pieces I made were overalls, corduroy overalls, um, a, a half kind of puffer jacket, like, very practical things that I actually wore out. And then I started to realize, oh, I think this could be something more. Mm-hmm. And I feel like now is the point, the finally the tipping point. The next kind of ideas, I don't, I don't know if I should really talk about ideas publicly, but <laughs> it's like, uh, like printing photographs on the fabric. It's like, well, what can I do with that fabric? Mm-hmm. So that's a that's, <laughs> that's the teaser, I guess. But <laughs> work in progress. Work in progress. Yeah. So that's the thing I've been like super interested in because I because that's the other thing too is like um, when does it stray from an art piece into a fashion? Well. And, Fashion, for me, is just becoming more and more art, like, especially with all these new designers. I don't know. It's beautiful. I think so, too. I I think, and I also think that there is, like, a history in fashion of, like, very, especially with avant-garde kind of stuff, like, Mm -hmm. Alice kind of shows. Like, a lot of those, like, I specifically think of the one show, I don't know what year it is, basically, like, the end of the show culminated in a model walking out in a white dress she stands at the end and like this this stage starts spinning and two like robots come out and spray paint the dress that's on her oh and wow it's, like, pretty, if anybody was like that's art i'll fight anybody who says that it for sure but also also just like how we as people like outside of designers like how we customize our clothes how we 
decide to dress is like super important for like you were saying performance like of self and of gender yeah definitely and, and I, that's kind of like also the most interesting thing i feel like i'm seeing in fashion now too is like gender neutrality which i think is love like a good it forward. yeah i really do like but i i do find that super interesting and that is also the other thing too i think um artist fashion is so specific as well and you can get away with way crazier stuff than you could if you uh, had a normal office job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's also like partially to that. So For sure. Yeah. That's so cool. And I feel like I really like your style, like just following you on Instagram and stuff. And now knowing that like you make your clothes, I feel like it makes it extra special. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's my biggest thing. I, I don't know if we talked about this before, but like, um, one of the big things I saw throughout the pandemic was, like, a weird amount of attention on TikTok. Huh. And a lot of that came out of posting about my fashion. Mm. And, and posting about, like, where I shop, but also, like, how to alter things. Yes. Like, I think that's such a valuable skill, especially when you're plus size. Because, like, all the time you, like, like, thrifting is not really an option. Mm. It's few and far between when you're plus size. There's just not lot of stuff out there for plus size people at, at thrift stores and, but like so you can take things and you can make them bigger and you can like make it intentional like mm-hmm. you, you don't have you don't have to find the perfect fabric to match the garment like do something fun with it yeah and this rise in like visible mending yeah visible like yeah. tailoring i think it, it makes clothes look more personalized and like look more funky and i think in this time of like fast fashion like Everyone kind of has the same, like, black v-neck, but if you're rocking something that you made, right? Well, that's exactly it. Like, that's kind of my, that's kind of my biggest driving point is, like, you know, no one will, no one else will have this. <laughs> no one else will, this is, like, distinctly mine, which can sometimes feel, like, very free. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. When you're, what's the difference in, like, your making practice, like, I feel like, like you said, you're so interdisciplinary. Do you think you have, like, a similar approach? Like, are you coming at it conceptually, or are you coming at it more material-based project to project? Oh, I would definitely say, like, sewing projects for me are very, like, they have in the past very utilitarian. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like, I'm looking for this specific garment. I have not found it. I cannot find it (laughs) on my size. I am going to do my best to make it and see what happens. And so it kind of usually starts that way. Yeah. And then sometimes if I get into the project, I'm like, oh, this is above my pay grade. <laughs> I will adopt something else. But yeah, so far, like, like up until recently, I feel like not a lot of conceptual thought behind it. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, hopefully, hopefully maybe in the future it'll get there. So. <laughs> But um, starting with, like, your more artistic practice, does it usually come from, like, how do you start a project? Oh, I, it's funny. I will legitimately, like, be on the bus or going for a walk or in the shower or, like, laying in bed when I'm supposed to be sleeping <laughs> and, like, literally just, like, be like, oh, I should do this. And I'll write it down on my notes app and then I'll forget about it. Yeah. And then, like... Two weeks later, I'll be like, what was that idea I had that one day? And I'll go back and read it. And I'm like, yes, that's, yeah, okay, we'll do that. And I I feel like recently, especially, like, it was a good opportunity to have that, like, incubator program. After I finished making those pieces, like, 
but the day before I had to take my work in, I was like, ooh, I should have done this. Mm. But you know what? I can do that now. Yeah. So it just, like, seems to be, like, a continuation. I love that. Uh, like, the way you talked about this arts incubator at uh, Art Gallery at Evergreen, like, they gave you the space, but also the time to make something, and now you have a jumping off point for the rest of your practice. Yeah, it's, like, kind of, it's kind of, like, a nice place to be, especially after feeling so stagnant over mm. the last 18 months beforehand. I was, like, this is, it feels good to, like, actually, like, sit down, make something, and then also have the chance to show it for people to see it. For sure. That was, like, a big part of it, too. And now it, it like, it, it kind of brings back, like, the good feelings of, like, okay, I'm just going to start making stuff. And, you know what, people might not see it, but at least, like, I have some stuff ready to go. For sure. Yeah. How much of a part of your practice is, like, people seeing it? Because I know that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, like, with quarantine, but also being, like, an emerging artist, like, it's so rare that people get to see your stuff. Well, that's, like, it's tough, because, like, I was talking to somebody about this recently, too, that, like, I think it's tough for any artist, but, like, photography, it's also, like, especially a great area where it's, like, how much do I post to Instagram Mm. before, before people, like, feel like they've actually already seen it, so they're not inclined to see it in person. And I also feel like the one thing I really want to get myself out of is, like, getting an opportunity to show work and having all the ideas for those work and kind of having the first steps be done. But, like, being under a ridiculous deadline because I agreed to show work and I haven't actually made it. (laughs) Ah, goodness. A joy. A real, like, I feel like that's so classic, though. Oh, so I'm just trying to get myself out of that because also at the end of the day, I I really feel like accomplished. Like mm. if I do something, if I've made something or if I'm halfway through a project, like when I go to sleep at night, I'm like, I actually felt like I did something today. Whereas where it's, if it's a day that goes by where I haven't necessarily done anything, I just feel like antsy and almost anxious. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, so that's the that's the thing I'm trying to like restart up for myself because <laughs> I don't I, if an opportunity hopefully comes along again, I don't want to put myself under a tag crunch to like get everything done, which I do every time. You do it. Um yeah. do you find you work better under pressure or you need that kind of like leisurely time to get it done? Oh, like honestly I feel like it works really well under pressure. I'm so jealous. <laughs> it is like, I think, I, I don't know what it is in me, but I learned this very quickly in university. It's like, if I have a million things going on, I am really good at like shutting off like anxious feelings and being like, well, I have to do this. There's no way around it. I have to do it. So I'm going to do it. And that's that. And I just go on my way and do my stuff. But that being said, that doesn't come without like... Uh, yeah, I, uh, you run into problems. You always run into problems with something. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm trying to cut down on that. Even though I love to work under the gun, it's, like, <laughs> not sustainable. Nope. Not mentally sustainable. The burnout is so real. Yeah. Yeah. So then, like, burnout hit me hard this year. It was, like, 
it was like it was brutal like back in like I feel like May June I I needed like two months well three months really to recover and so I was just like mm-hmm. yeah and then you feel and then it, it's worse because then you, you're burnt out and you're like I know I need time to like not do anything but then uh, this is the um to like reference over to the side this is like me in my own reaction video spiral <laughs> being like being like okay, I need to relax, but I don't have time to relax because I need to do all the stuff, but I can't do all the stuff because I'm not relaxed. And now I'm just super anxious. It, it just, like, turns into its own nightmare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The thought spiral. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote down, and I don't know how this came into being, rejecting hierarchies, social norms, and private property. And I feel like that's so... <laughs> Yeah, do you want (laughs) to, well, I was just wondering, I feel like your work is political in a very certain way, in the same way that, like, Bo Burnham's Inside is political in a certain way, and if you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think I know how that came about, too. I think I see the connection. I think it comes down to, like, I, from my education, especially being in the photography major, especially being grounded in, like, a place like Vancouver and Mm-hmm. I do think there's like a hierarchy in it, and it's the the most. <laughs> I feel like the most valued perspective, at least from what I've seen, is like a white male perspective of somebody who's doing work about process, mm. um, and they shot it on film, mm. and it's a pristine inkjet print with uh, pristine framing. Yeah, and and that's like, and I think like a lot of. Because that my other kind of like explorations into like other materialities was like in art school. One of the major things I got cut off on, which I think there's still something there. Some people tried to talk me out of it, but in hindsight, I'm like, why did they let me? Why did I let them? But I would get the cheapest. I would shoot digital because I was like, why are we not? I, yeah. I had, like film has a beautiful quality to it, but some of the projects people were putting out didn't. I shot digital, I printed on the cheapest materials, and I would hang everything up with, like, very elaborate masking, colored masking. Nice. Which was just a rejection of, like, why am I going to spend, like, a crazy amount of money putting these these projects together? Because it doesn't always... And I I also feel like people hide behind that sometimes and have a conceptual value to their work. And so I think a lot of my the materiality in my practice is rejecting that. Mm. It's like rejecting that aspect entirely. I also feel like, I mean, there are some photographers in Vancouver that are doing very interesting things, but I also think it's become a little stagnant. Yeah, yeah. So huh. I think a, a large a large part of that came out of that. <laughs> so... Yeah, so I, uh, because I love photography. I think it's super interesting. I think it's going through a very interesting period of time right now, especially with, like, basically, like, like a large part of the population, everyone has a pretty decent camera on their phone. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you reconcile? And then I also 
think there's been this long conversation in art of whether photography is art or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, like, I think there's so much there that's just not being explored, which is kind of silly. Yeah, no, I... I love, like, what you're saying makes a lot of sense, and, like, I agree with you wholeheartedly. As as a curator, I'm really tired of seeing really expensive work that doesn't have a lot of thought behind it, and photography, that's yeah. super easy to do. Well, with all art, that's super easy to do, let's be honest. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really refreshing to see people working, uh, like, quote-unquote, low-brow, or, like, more quick and messy, and cheaper. It's way more accessible for audiences, too, I think. Yeah, I think so, too, and, like, I think that's get scared of a lot in terms of conceptual art like it can be accessible and still have conceptual thought behind it it doesn't just need to be for the art speaking community no for sure so but i also think that like a lot of i do really love like lowbrow like i i'm a big one of the like most influential shows that i saw which was like the first first major show i ever went to was um john waters the curated a show at the Walker Art Center. What? That's sick. Was, <laughs> what was it called? It was called something super funny. It was Absentee Landlord. Oh my gosh. That's what it was. And it had some of his work in it, which his work is, it's so funny. There's like <laughs> one sign specifically, and it says like, um, make art for fun and profit. <laughs> and like, his work is so interesting. There's a little bit of his stuff, but for the most part, it was like, it was a really interesting show. There was, like, it was the first time I'd ever seen, like, Wolfgang Filmings. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first time I'd ever seen a Warhol in person. Sick. Um, was, like, really fun pieces. I re- wish I remembered the name of the artist who did it, but there was one photograph, black and white photograph of a flower, and then it looked like, like a sewing needle was sticking out the end of it, huh. right where the, in the middle of the flower. When you got close to it, it sprayed water at you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like yeah it was just like it was a really like mind-opening show and i saw that when i was 16 wow i think that was like the first point that i was like oh there could be a place for me because you just have to make a place for yourself yeah yeah and so i don't know how i got down to this app but i love that i love it though i mean like not everything needs to be highbrow all the time and there is like beauty and genuine like I don't know emotion and stuff to be had in lowbrow I think it's so underrated for sure and for me I feel like it feels more in the world and like both my parents come from like very working class backgrounds so like I don't know high polish like white cube stuff doesn't feel like it exists within my reality yeah I also like I feel exactly the same. One of my favorite experiences I've ever had is um, when I was visiting home one Christmas, I wanted to go to the Remy Modern in South Dune, mm-hmm. beautiful gallery, and so I, I took my mom, I was like, don't worry about it, I'll buy your ticket, let's go, like, just come with me and hang out, and when there was a room with Rauschenbergs specifically, specifically, oh, God. <laughs> she was like, this looks like your dad's garage. <laughs> And I was like, I'm so here for you! <laughs> Donkey on Rochester. And so, like, but like, so that's my exact perspective is like, and I feel like I was in, I feel like in some ways I've been looked down on this, like, um, on wanting to, for it to be like this, but I 
Yeah. That's how I do my art criticism writing or my writing in general. Like, I'm like, would I write it for my mom who like is a smart, intelligent person, but like she doesn't have an art history degree, you know? Exactly, and that's, and I think, like, I think the art world can so easily and has so easily become just, like, this in-crowd mm. of, like, we're all just, like, making stuff for each other, and we have all these inside references and jokes, and it's, like, it's very hard for, like, how do you build a community by doing that? Yeah, I don't know, like, no. and I think that's why your work... Like, the pop culture references just make it way more accessible for everyone. Because if you have the internet, if you're blessed to have the internet, you can access, like, these TV shows, these whatever. And it's like, yes, it is, like, limited within English television, but I still think lots and lots of people watch English television, like, all around the world. It just casts a, w- a wider net. It really like does. A wider net. It really does. That's, that's, that's my kind of thing. And I also think, like... You know, our, like, I think, at least in the last 10 years, like, the relationship to pop culture and media has shifted significantly, and mm-hmm. I also think so in the last year and a half. Oh, for sure within the last year and a half. People, if they didn't realize how important art was before, they realize it now. And, like, yeah. the thing that I do to make myself happier is, um, especially when I was writing my MFA thesis, I would hang art. Like, I moved into my new apartment, and I would write a paragraph hang a new artwork. Write a paragraph, oh. hang a new artwork. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's like, but I, like, I, yeah, my exact thing is, like, at the end of the day, at the end of a tough day, like, I'll reward myself by, like, putting on a new movie or putting on a movie I already like or a mm. TV show I already like and rewatch and I know I can enjoy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's been a lot of people's experience now is, like, there's nothing else to do because I'm inside. I'm yeah. going to watch an ungodly amount of content. Ungodly, basically, that's what happened. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. I I feel like I already would would, absorb so much stuff, and then when the pandemic hit, I was kind of stunted. I feel like I watched a few things, but for the most part, I was like, I'm just going to sit alone with my thoughts. I don't know if that was good or bad. I definitely mixed bag there. Mixed bag. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Hopping the Fence, a podcast dedicated to the fringes of the Canadian art scene. If you have an artist that you would like to hear interviewed, would like to correct and or fact check a past episode, or would just like to chat, feel free to send me a message on Instagram at hoppingthefence or by email at rebeccaecasolino at gmail.com. Thanks to the OCAD Student Union for your financial support. And thank you to all of our patrons for your ongoing support. It truly does help me avoid burnout and keeps this podcast rolling. If you would like to support Hopping the Fence, please visit our Patreon to subscribe. Check out the show notes for more details. If you can't donate, no worries. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Audio editing for Hopping the Fence by Emily Reimer. Original artwork by Alex Gregory. And original music by Jessica Price Eisner. Thanks so much. Bye.